0: I tried to get the timing right. Good morning. How are we doing? My name is James. If you don't know who I am, I'm one of the pastors here. And I just wanted to comment, isn't Kirsten adorable on the announcement videos? Those of you who don't know I'm married to her are probably confused. Um, Well, uh, it's my pleasure to get to spend some time with you guys this morning, and just before we get started, why don't we just pray together? Father, thank you for the opportunity to um, be here and be talking about your word, which is very precious. Um, Lord, I'm well aware that I don't have hardly anything to offer, that it really needs to come from you, from your spirit that, that no hearts will be changed. No lives will move. Nothing will happen if your spirit doesn't work. Between your word and your spirit, that's that's what gets us going. And so, Lord, I ask that you'd be present with us, that you'd be speaking, that you'd be teaching me and everyone else, that we'd be able to get to experience you this morning, know your presence, grow in love for you, and be Encouraged to pursue you, to follow you, to do things your way. Would you be with us this morning? Christy? we pray. Amen. So we are in the book of Acts, if you haven't been around. Um, And last week, Chad did a really amazing job of covering this really cool story of a lame man who is healed. Um, and if you weren't here, or haven't read that passage, essentially what happened was there was a man who every day they would set him outside of the the temple area to uh, beg, basically. That's, that's how he made his living, right? He couldn't really do anything else. He was lame, couldn't walk in, in, in that culture that kind of left he out of options. And so he'd lay there and ask people as they went past if they'd give him money. That was his life. And uh, Peter and John come along, and uh, it's really interesting in the moment because uh, because Peter kind of like, like looks at him, tries to get his attention. At the same time, John's like, look at us. And it, I don't know if they had a discussion beforehand or if they both just like, boom, Holy Spirit's like, all right, here's what we're doing. I'm not sure what it was, but it was like they were just perfectly in sync. And the man looks at him and, and Peter says, hey, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And he leaps up. And it says that he's leaping around, which I think is such a cool phrase, right? Like going from lame to leaping. I did not mean to make an alliteration just now, but it's, that's such a beautiful picture, isn't it? Like to go from like, I can't even like shuffle, right? Like I'm lame, There's no, I have no option in the moving, moving category. I could drag my body around, that's the best I can do, to leaping, right? And so it creates quite a commotion, <laughs> right? People, people recognize and know this guy, they've seen him around from, you know, he's been there every day, they've gone to the temple, Right? And and they recognize, that, hey, this is the lame guy. And he's leaping around, making quite a commotion. And so Peter wisely capitalizes on the moment, right? The Spirit uses the moment, and they start to preach the gospel. And that's kind of where we left off at the end of chapter 3. At the beginning of chapter 4, we get to see the opposition to the gospel happen. And so starting right off at chapter 4, verse 1, it says... And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in the name of, proclaiming Jesus in the resurrection from the dead. So we need to, uh, we need to talk briefly about who these people are that are greatly annoyed. Uh, so this is the Sadducees. If you're uh, familiar with the drama of the New Testament, there's the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and then there's a couple other groups. But the Sadducees and the Pharisees are in opposition to one another. And the main reason they oppose each other is because the Pharisees believe not just the Torah, the first five books of the, books, not books, <laughs> books of the Bible, uh, but also all the prophets and all of the other pieces of the Old Testament. They, they believe that they are inspired. Meanwhile, the Sadducees only believe in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. And so they don't believe in the resurrection or in angels, right? So this is the big tension between the two groups, right? The Pharisees are like, hey, you know, resurrection is coming. That's what the, the, the end of times is going to look like. All the, everybody's going to be raised from the dead. Sadducees are like, no, this is it. This is all, this is all we get. And so there's always just kind of a, a constant tension between these two groups. And it's kind of a working tension. Right? The Sadducees have control of the temple, and so the Pharisees kind of have to be okay with that. But the Sadducees give some leeway because it's sort of almost a philosophical discussion in their mind. Right? It doesn't really matter because we're not at the end time, so we won't know until we get there. Right? So they're able to just kind of have this tension that doesn't really need to be resolved. Well, here comes Peter coming along and saying, Hey, this guy just got healed in the name of Jesus, who, by the way, was raised from the dead. See why the Sadducees are annoyed, right? They're like, hold on. This is just went from theoretical to immediate, right? Jesus, they're claiming that Jesus has inaugurated the resurrection of the dead. And they're like, uh, no, we don't, we don't think that's a thing. And, and also, this is our spot to teach, not yours, right? And so they're annoyed, which is a hilarious word, right? It's hilarious that annoyed is the response they have to this, to this whole situation. And so it says, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, because they can, and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. Now, that, that sounds a little bit harsh. That was actually appropriate. They were supposed to hold them overnight rather than having a trial at night Like with Jesus, that was illegal. It was illegal for them to have a trial at night by their own laws. So they they broke the law with Jesus here. They actually obey the law and they they say, okay, we'll wait until morning to resolve this. It says, but many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. But this had a huge impact. 5,000 people right? Now, people kind of disagree. Is this including the people from the previous event where Peter was preaching or not? And, you know, it's either 5,000 or 8,000. One way or another, we've got a lot of people on board with Jesus here, right? That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that, that this, this is sort of like a catalyst for the, the uh, explosion of Christianity, right? There, there needed to be some big moments in the beginning, right, to, to kind of kick things off, Right? Because the church is about to get dispersed in all kinds of, I don't want to spoil anything in Acts. I don't want to ruin it for you guys, but things are going to happen, right? And so we, we need to build the church, right? And so God is using this really amazing moment to build the church and to get all these people attention. And clearly his spirit is moving in the hearts of people, right? Because Jesus did greater works. right? He, he raised people from the dead. But it wasn't time for people to believe like that. Right? Which is a clear indication of the importance of the spirit operating in these things. Because obviously Jesus didn't do it poorly, right? (laughs) Like he did it the best possible way. But it wasn't time for the spirit to move in that way. Now it is which is really cool. So this is an amazing, amazing situation we've got going. The tension is starting to rise. The Sadducees are getting frustrated because they see how many people are on board with what's going on. They're like, hey, this this is a pretty crazy situation. Everyone knows this guy got healed. Nobody can deny it. We all know who this guy is. We all know he was lame. Now he's leaping around. He's saying it was because of these guys. These guys are saying it was because of Jesus. We've got a problem, right? And so... It says, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with basically a group of high priests. Uh, So there's an interesting dynamic at play here. Um, (laughs) So uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name correctly. I think it's Annas. Was the high priest. He was deposed and replaced with Caiaphas. And so both of them kind of hold the title of high priests and you'll see it kind of tossed back and forth because Rome was the one who deposed him. And so the Jews weren't totally on board with that. So they're kind of just both high priests which is really awkward, right? And so sometimes you'll be reading the Bible and it'll say one person is high priest and they'll say another person is high priest. And you're like, which one is it, right? It's kind of both. And then because of the weird hereditary things going on, the rest of the family are also kind of high priests. So there's just this weird dynamic at play here with these leaders and then a bunch of other leaders, right? And so it doesn't specifically say it, but this is probably the whole Jewish high council, Right, that's probably what's going on here, right? The Sanhedrin is probably doing this this trial. And so it says, all who were of the high priestly family were there. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? Let me translate this into teenager talk. Who do you think you are? (laughs) Right, literally. I mean, that's, that's literally what's going on here. They're like, hey, uh, who gave you the right to do this, right? Like, and, and part of this is investigative, right? Because they want to know, like, are you, are you claiming to be from God or from someone else, right? Because we can nail you immediately if you say you're from anyone but God, right? But if you claim God, well, then we're going to have to do a little more work, right? And so, so they're kind of just digging in. What, what's the story here? What do you claim? Now, I would wager every one of these guys already knows the answer to this question because they haven't been quiet about it. Right, Every one of these guys knows the answer, but now it's legal. Now it's a legal proceeding, right? So so they're trying to entrap them, essentially. They're trying to catch them saying something that they can bust them for and shut them down, right? But I think the other thing that's really cool about this is this is a really cool setup for Peter, right? Like, think about this for a second. Like, if someone came to you and was like, hey, whose name are you praying in? You're like, well, let me tell you., <laughs> I, got, I got a whole story for you. Hang on, let me let me let me fill you in, right? This is kind of a cool situation, right? God has set Peter up to sort of make this big proclamation of Jesus, right? And so it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit right? You know something big is going to happen anytime scripture says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? In other words, it's not like the Holy Spirit's coming and going. Don't, don't misunderstand that. It's like they are just on fire in that moment, right? They're like locked and loaded and ready to do whatever the Spirit is leading in. They, they're, they're just cranked in the Spirit, okay? <laughs> and so they're just, he's, he's ready. He's like, okay, let me give you the answer, right? The Holy Spirit's filling him up. He's got an answer for them. And he says, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Right? So first he just lays out like, do you realize how ridiculous this trial is? <laughs> right? He's like, he's just, he's just calmly pointing out like you are putting us on trial because someone got healed. Right? Is he's trying to, kind of highlighting the ridiculousness of this situation. He continues, he says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name, an interesting statement, by the name of Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, and this was the exact group that crucified him, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. <laughs> there's so many things happening right here, right? First of all, he's, he's pointing out that, hey, this is a ridiculous trial. Then he's pointing out, by the way, you guys crucified Jesus illegally, right? And they probably in the back of their minds know what they did was wrong, whether or not they would admit it. They probably know it was wrong. And then he just, you know, just, <laughs> just to dig in a little bit more, he's like, who God raised from the dead, right? First of all, again, Sadducees, they don't like that. And second of all, that proves that they were in the wrong, right? God's authority trumped their authority. said, uh, no, Jesus is going to be alive. Right, so this is all kinds of digs in one, in one sentence, right? He says, by, this, uh, by him, this man is standing before you well. In other words, by Jesus's power, that's how, right? He, he laid it out as clear as day right? As clear as could be. And I think it's really interesting that he specifically says by the name of Jesus. And, and so a lot of times when we, uh, when we study for a Sunday morning or whatever, we kind of come into it with like a particular like thought process, like, oh, I think I'm going to kind of teach in this direction. And then as we're going through it, God's like, no, check this out, <laughs> right? Like yeah, that kind of a moment. And I had that kind of a moment with this name of Jesus thing, right? Because as I started to look more, it's really interesting how significant the name of Jesus becomes, especially in the book of Acts, right? And so first, in case, just in case anybody doesn't know, I, I, maybe you're familiar with this, maybe you're not, so let me just back up a little bit. Jesus is the transliterated version of Jesus's name, okay? In, in Hebrew, it would be Yeshua, Okay, which if we translate, so this is kind of odd, but it it goes from Hebrew to Greek to English. That's how we get Jesus. Okay, but if you go straight from Hebrew to English, the name's Joshua. Okay, so if you've ever, ever been curious about how the dynamic is there, that's basically what's happening. So it went from, from Hebrew to Greek to English and we get Jesus out of that. And, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with calling him Jesus. But it's interesting that his name in Hebrew is Yeshua. And the reason it's interesting is because the, the Yah in Yeshua is short for Yahweh, the name of God. And then the, the, the Shua part is, and I have to look, it's Hosea, I think. I'm not a Hebrew Hebrew speaker, um, which, which, is, which means salvation. So Jesus's name quite literally means the name of God, the, the Lord, saves or offers salvation. That's crazy, right? Because remember, Mary and Joseph did not choose Jesus's name. The angel came. Remember, the angel came and said, you shall name him Jesus, right? God chose his name for himself. He wanted to be really clear who he was. I think that's really cool. But it goes on, okay? So in Acts chapter two, if we go back a little ways, it says, and shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's interesting. He highlights the name, right? The name is significant. Uh, In Acts, uh, all over the place, we see the command that believers should be baptized in the name of Jesus, right? Uh, the, the healing that we just read last week literally reads in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, right? And then, and then Peter says, and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong, right? So there, there's this a theme coming up here, right? <laughs> like usually when you see something repeated over and over again, you want to be like, okay, what's going on here, right? Like what's significant about this? It's actually really interesting just by by sort of coincidence, we'll call it coincidence, God. Uh, I've been just l- studying and learning in the Old Testament things that point to Jesus, right? So either Christophanies or messianic prophecy or things like that. If you don't know what that is, that's okay, don't worry about it. But As I've been uh, reading that, I just happened to have recently watched a video about uh, Proverbs 30. And I think Proverbs 30 is really interesting. It's the only oracle or or prophecy or or like, you know, specific, something separate in Proverbs, right? And this guy named, I think it's Agur. (laughs) I don't know how his name is pronounced, to be honest. He says this, he says, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the winds in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. I think that's really cool. I've never actually noticed that before. I don't know how I've missed that, right? And then in Genesis chapter 32, we see Jacob wrestling with God. You know that scene where Jacob wrestles with God, right? And it's this weird thing because it's like an angel of the Lord, right? And so sometimes we read that like, oh, he's wrestling with an angel, but he's calling God. Well, angel just means messenger, okay? Sometimes an angel is an angel in the sense that we think of it. Sometimes an angel is a messenger, right? And so the prevailing theory, you might say, is that this was actually a pre- Incarnate Jesus, he was wrestling with, because because it says later that he wrestled with God, not an angel, but with God, right? And and so what's interesting about this story is that he asks his name, and he refuses to tell him. He just bypasses the question, and then later in Judges thirteen, verse eighteen. When uh, Manoah is being told about the birth of Samson, and there's this kind of whole thing about like, his, this, we're going to have a, a baby and he's going to be really you know, important and do these things and all that stuff. And, uh, and so Manoah meets this, again, an angel of the Lord. And he says, hey, what, tell me your name. What's your name? And, and the angel of the Lord responds, why do you ask, seeing that it is wonderful? Again, the prevailing theory is this is a pre-incarnated Jesus. Pretty crazy stuff. And so you see this repeated in the New Testament also, right? Like in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Or John 14, when Jesus is teaching about prayer, he says, whatever you ask in my name. Or John chapter 16 as well, same kind of thing. John chapter 20, the book of John kind of wraps up with, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's a really cool thing. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him second thessalonians one twelve so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ and and perhaps maybe my favorite out of the set, Philippians two, which I did not tell uh, Daniel to read <laughs> uh, uh, Philippians two This is the part where it talks about him humbling himself, right? And taking on the form of a servant, you know, all that kind of thing. And it comes down to uh, verse 9. Therefore, God, this is what happens later. Therefore, God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that the name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is some incredible significance in the name of Jesus. Right? Incredible significance in the name of Jesus. But here's the interesting twist. It was a really common name at the time. Just like Joshua is a common name for us, it was common. Jesus is not a unique name. A lot of people are named Jesus. In fact, in the book of Acts, there's two people named Jesus. Jesus called Justice and Bar-Jesus, the false prophet. It's, it's It's not like some kind of unique name that isn't used by people. So why is it that the name of Jesus specifically becomes so significant? It's because of the person of Jesus. Right? It's because of the person of Jesus. The name of Jesus is specifically significant because of the person, because of who he is. Right? If his name had been Walter, <laughs> that would have been the name above every name. Right? Now, Jesus is a much more fitting name, obviously, for, for what we talked about already, but it's the fact of who Jesus is and that he chose that name on himself that elevates the name. Right? If you think about it, the name of Jesus is unique in its own right in our culture. We don't swear using other people's names, right? Walter, dang it. Like that would be weird, right? We don't like we don't like say there's power in the name of Bob right? There's, there's, people don't get uncomfortable when you say Tim in a room, right? Like there's something very unique about the name of Jesus, but it's, it's not specifically that the name has magic power or something, right? It's not specifically that. In fact, we actually see that. I really like this story, so I just wanted to squeeze it in here. In Acts chapter 19, sorry, spoilers. I know we're going to get there later, but it says there Uh, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over the evil spirits. Basically, they're like, hey, this is working for everybody else. Let's use the name of Jesus to try to cast out these demons. They're not Christians. They're just people who want to cast out some demons. And they're like, well, Jesus' name seems to work, right? So they try to use it. So So they say, I adjure you by the Jesus who Paul proclaims, right? So they use the name of Jesus, right? Seven, uh, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva, I think, uh, We're doing this. I need to find like a pronunciation guide for names. Um, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This is like a ridiculous situation. I think it's a hilarious story. Like it's just a crazy story because what they're trying to do is use Jesus's name as some sort of magic word, right? They're trying to use Jesus's name as some sort of magic word, ignoring why the name is significant, right? They're thinking that it's just because it's, J-E-S-U, you know, right? Like, or Yeshua, I guess, in their language, right? They're thinking that that somehow has some kind of magic power. It's not because of the syllables in his name. It's because of who he is. It's his name that makes it powerful and significant. All right. So, (laughs) Uh, Peter continues, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So this is a really uh, cool reference, actually, to Psalm 118, verse 22. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's prophecy. Psalms actually has a lot of prophecy, which is really interesting. Um, A cornerstone, for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, used to be uh, an architectural uh, starting point, if you will, right? They would figure out where the corner of the building would go, place the cornerstone, and the rest of the building would be based on the cornerstone, right? It would give them direction for how to build the building, essentially. Keep everything straight, it would be the foundation. Kind of, in a lot of ways, uh, some, uh, some architects describe it as the, the building is sort of all supported by the cornerstone, right? So when you start to understand the word cornerstone from that perspective, it starts to hold a lot more significance, right? The very bearing, the weight of everything is resting on Jesus. The builders rejected this cornerstone. This, this cornerstone's not good enough for us. We want a different one, right? So their building is based on some other lesser thing. We don't know what, right? But Jesus has become the cornerstone for everything. And Peter really likes this uh, picture because he also quotes this in 1 Peter. This is a significant thing. And so it says, he continues, he says, based on this kind of cornerstone thought process, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's an incredibly bold statement. There are no punches pulled here, right? Jesus alone. That's it. That's the only option. So what's really cool about this, besides everything else I've described already, is the way that they perceive Peter and John, right? Because it says next, it says, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Now, let's pause on the word boldness and think about this for a second. So Peter and John are addressing the rulers of their nation. These guys have the power to do all kinds of stuff to them. We've already seen that in Jesus, right? They want someone dead. They can make it happen. But not only that, but they they can excommunicate you from the temple. They can, I mean, they have unlimited sort of power over these guys, right? And they're in charge, They're trained. They've been doing this for years. They know how to rule. They're intimidating. The Sanhedrin was set up to be intimidating. Right? Like, imagine for a second being in front of just like a, just a council full of people defending your faith. And then let's flip it around and think about who Peter and John are. Remember, not long before this, They were cowering in a house after Jesus died for fear of the Jews, right? They had the doors locked, afraid the Jews were going to come after them next. And now they're standing before the very people that killed Jesus, boldly proclaiming the only way you can be saved is through Jesus. What happened? Drastic change, right? And here's the cool thing they say they perceived they were uneducated common men and they were astonished right think about this for a second peter and john had no formal education the, the closest thing they had to an education was three and a half years with Jesus. That was the most education they probably, other than the like basic education that like all Jewish boys would receive, which was hardly anything. They, they were fishermen. They, they had no concept of how to debate. They had no formal training on theology. They don't, they don't know how to address a crowd. They have no sort of training to do this kind of a thing. And they're astonished. They're like, what is with these guys? And I love this because they pick it out. They figure it out for us. It says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That is what probably one of the coolest statements I can find in Acts. They recognized they had been with Jesus. Jesus has an effect on people. Now, what they don't know is the Holy Spirit mixed into the middle of this, right? They're unable to identify that piece of it. But the closeness with Jesus and the empowering of the Holy Spirit have made these uneducated, untrained men capable to in- address their rulers with boldness, risk everything. And it's blown the, bol- the, the leaders' minds. I'll tell you what, If there's one thing I want people to see in me, I want people to look at me and go, that dude's been with Jesus. I don't care if they mean it as an insult. Right? Like if someone calls me a Jesus freak, I'm okay with that. I I would love to be identified as someone who has been with Jesus. Wow, man, that guy's really been affected by Jesus. He's really different. That is a powerful, powerful statement that I would hope would be true for each of us. But you know, in order to get there, we actually have to be with Jesus. That's k- kind of obvious, I realize. But there is a reality that we need to take the time to be with Jesus, right? So often, we prioritize just about everything else in life besides being with Jesus. Jesus. Right, it always makes me think of Mary and Martha, right? The, the whole situation with Mary, Martha, and Jesus. And, and you know, Martha's, comp- or Mary's com- Martha's complaining. I can't remember which one's which now. Uh, one of them's complaining about the other one. And Jesus is like, uh, no, they've chosen the better thing to sit at my feet and listen. Right? We need to be with Jesus to be identified as someone who's been with Jesus. So, I, I love this. They could, you know, Peter could have just said, oh, God did it and left it there. Right? They wouldn't have had much argument for the healing of someone by God's power, but no, Peter went for it. He actually said the name of Jesus. Right? So, the next part's kind of funny. They're at a loss, right? It says, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, it's like the evidence is right here, right? Like we can't ignore it. He's standing right here, right? They might want to ignore it, but they can't, right? Seeing the man standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Like he's healed. We don't know how to argue with that. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what should we do with these men? Like they're at a complete loss, Right. For a notable sign has been performed through them, for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. Which you would think would give them pause. Right? You would think they'd be like, Hmm, <laughs> we can't deny that something has happened here. <laughs> like maybe there's something to this, right? But they're so caught up in holding their power and their position and control and annoyed about the whole resurrection thing. And they've, they're convinced of their theology, right? That's a danger for us all. We're unteachable because we've got our theology, right? But they, they, they don't get it. They don't, they don't see the obvious thing in front of them. So here's their solution. But in order that it may, not, it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. They're so offended by the name of Jesus, they've forgotten the resurrection issue. Think about that, right? That's like their thing. That's how they're identified is they're the non-resurrection people, right? They're like big claim to fame and they forget to tell them not to say that people are getting raised from the dead because they're so offended by the name of Jesus. They're like, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Stop saying his name. Don't tell anyone about Jesus, right? So they call, call them and charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They really, really want to shut down the name of Jesus, which is otherwise a common name. But the person behind it is anything but common. And they know it. So it says, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. That's the right answer. Sorry, I, I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all, uh, for all we're praising God for what happened. Right? They, liter- it's literally that they're afraid of the people because everyone has seen what happened and they're starting to believe and they, they don't, they, there's, there's nothing they can do. They're just stuck. God has made it that way for them. Because at this point in time, God doesn't want the church attacked. So what's really cool about this is that their boldness in its own right is evidence for Jesus, right? Not not only is the healing great evidence for Jesus, but their boldness, their willingness to proclaim the name of Jesus is incredible evidence for Jesus. I'm, I'm I'm a big believer that we do not have to blindly believe in Jesus or in the Bible or anything else, that there is lots of really good evidence for why we should believe. And here's one of them right here. These men went from cowering in a house with the doors locked to proclaiming Jesus before the rulers of the people, knowing that they hate Jesus and killed him. That is some incredible evidence. And let's not forget that, oh, by the way, they also healed a lame man in the name of Jesus. That's incredible evidence. They, they could have even just pretended to comply. That's evidence in some way. They could have just said, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, and then gone and done it anyways, right? No, they said, no, we're not going to do that. I'm going to invite the band up. The name of Jesus is powerful and offensive. Right? It's interesting to me that the name of Jesus makes people uncomfortable. Just the name, right? I was reading a, a reading a thing that someone mentioned. They said, think about this. How do you think people would react if you were, say, like at a sports event or something like that? And you guys were kind of chatting and you just dropped the name of Jesus casually in conversation. Maybe said it two or three times. People get uncomfortable, Right? Even people who don't know very much about Jesus, there's something about Jesus' name that they're like, I don't want to go there. Right? It's incredible to me how many times in the Bible it's in the name of Jesus that incredible things happen, right? And it's not, again, because that name is magical. It's because in the name of Jesus, we represent the person of Jesus. The incredible person of Jesus. Jesus. God come down, it taking on human form, becoming a servant, living a perfect life, dying on a cross, being raised again for us as a free gift, a free offering to us because we couldn't get it right no matter how many different ways God told us to. We could not get it right. We continued to sin against him and ultimately we were bound for hell. And so Jesus, the incredible God God, who created everything by, thing, by, uh, by him and for him, all things were created comes down and he chooses the name of Jesus for himself Yahweh saves he comes and offers himself as a living sacrifice for us a free gift that we do not deserve by any stretch of the imagination because he loves And in that name he chose for himself, there is salvation. And through that name alone. There there are not that many things that I will die on a hill for. But one of them is that it is by Jesus alone that we are saved. There is no other way. So as we get ready to take communion, you guys can go ahead and pass out the communion. I want us to realize something incredible about Jesus. Fully man, fully God. Comes, lives a perfect life and dies for us. To pay for our sin while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's incredible. It is incredible that he would do that. And the name he chose to do that under was Jesus. So that that name would be raised above every other name. That at that name, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess, Jesus is Lord. So when we pray, when we take communion, when we gather together, we do it in his name. Because his name is significant because of who he is. <clears throat> so, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and wine and shared it among his followers. And he did this, saying, Do this in remembrance of me. Remind yourselves of what I have done. This is for our benefit. We we don't take communion to his benefit. We actually take communion to our own benefit as a reminder of Jesus because we so easily forget. We so easily forget what he's done. And so as you look at that little wafer, think of the body of Jesus broken for you. Take it and eat. And Jesus passed the cup. He said that this is the blood of the new covenant. his blood shed on the cross would purchase the new covenant for us because he would do what he did we would go free so as you look at the cup of juice and its red color be reminded of the blood of jesus shed for you so that you could have eternal life let's take it together Father, I am so very aware that I do not deserve the body and blood of Jesus. And I'm so very grateful that it is not on my merit that it was given. Thank you for the incredible love that you offer us in Jesus. We do not deserve it. But we are so grateful for it. We are so thankful that through Jesus, we can access you, have perfect relationship with you, spend eternity with you, that all our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus and we are made new, white as snow. Thank you, Jesus, for your body broken for us and your blood shed for us on the cross. And thank you for even the reminder in your name that Yahweh saves we don't deserve it but we are so grateful for it would you help us to be bold in the name of Jesus would we speak the name of Jesus often and proudly would we tell everyone we know about this Jesus through whom there is salvation Through him alone. Thank you, God. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.